this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, guys, we've been talking about David. Um, we've been reading through First uh, and Second Samuel um, in our deeper projects, and been really excited to kind of dive into this narrative a little deeper. And from that, we we started examining the life of David right a few weeks ago, and really looking at who he was and what made him tick. And the kind of the driving force behind it was that uh, God labeled David as a man after His own heart, and that's what He went down in Scripture being known as. And uh, we, we've come to the conclusion that that's a good thing, right? We want to be people after God's own heart. And so uh, I've been looking at different stories of David ex- explicitly in his rise to power and how he comes into the kingdom, um, what we've been reading about in 1 Samuel. And uh, over that, I, I just felt like it would be appropriate for us to do a little bit of a recap. And in doing so, I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of drug me back to the very beginning of uh, David's story where we encounter him in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where he is anointed king by the prophet Samuel and kind of look at a, a, a few things in his narrative that I didn't hit on um, that I didn't hit on over the last couple sermons just in preparation as we get to him actually becoming king. And so the first, my first main point this morning, I'm just going to kind of come out of the gate with it, is that God does not call the qualified. That's what I love about David's story here, is that when David is called and anointed as king, he doesn't have an impressive resume, right? He doesn't have, I mean, in fact, the, the, the prophet Samuel, the minister, if you will, uh, actually doesn't, overlooks David at first, right? I mean, you have his own father overlooking David, looking to, looking to his older brothers, right? We, we talked a little bit about this story before, but the way that I, I wrote it was that he was pa- passed up by everybody that would have considered him important, that there wasn't anything about him that screamed, hey, I'm the next king, right? And thankfully, we understand, and we know by 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, um, that there's some insight about what the Lord deems as the appropriate qualifications, right? The Lord says this. He says, the Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And uh, I need you to know this morning, you may say that you're too young or that you're too old, um, <laughs> that you've made too many mistakes, you have too much of a rap sheet of a past, Maybe that you're not educated enough or you're not outgoing enough. Maybe you're a little introverted. You, you might have a long list of excuses on why God can't or doesn't want to use you in your particular situation, right? I think a lot of the times we come up with, we, we, have, we have more than enough reasons on why God can't or shouldn't use us, right? And I think sometimes, especially when God has asked us to do something, we even pull those out of a pocket. But God, I can't be your guy to do this. I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a mistake. I'm a failure. I'm a, I'm a mess up. You need to find somebody else, right? But I need you to know that God isn't impressed by your resume. 
<laughs> if you've got all the right things checked off and he's not intimidated by your lack of one. You see, God doesn't call the qualified, but he rather qualifies the called. More important than what you have to say for yourself, more important than kind of your impressive list of why God should use you or maybe even in spite of why God shouldn't use you, he's mostly concerned about where your heart is in the matter. Can he find a person with a heart that's willing to say yes to be used by the Lord? And that's what he found in David. And I love that aspect about him. So my, my charge to you is in just this simple thought is don't make excuses on why you're not doing anything for the Lord. If you can look at your life right now and you can say, you know, I'm really, I'm really just kind of floating by. I'm really kind of just, you know, I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to just trying to do the Jesus thing, but you're really not doing something of significance for the Lord. I want you to know God wants to use you. He wants to position you in a place to have influence. He didn't create you just to kind of skate on by and get through life. He has purpose for you existing. He has reason for you being where you are, and he wants to use you in an extraordinary way. Don't let your shortcomings, don't let your inadequacies keep you from doing something great from God. And don't think just because you have it all put together seemingly that, he's, that you're going to be able to rely on your own strength. The truth of the matter is he's looking for someone with a heart that's willing to be used by God. And uh, it's, it's, that's the most important thing that we can grasp. Does that make sense? And as we continue to look at David's calling, as we continue to look at his kind of rise to power, we see him we see kind of this unique journey begin to unfold. So the second thing I really want you to understand about David and that we learn from these kind of formative years of him kind of, uh, we first introduced to him, right? And then all of a sudden he kills Goliath, then he's serving with the king, then he's running from the king, and eventually he comes into his own and he becomes king of Israel, right? Later on. We're not going to quite get to that part, but through this whole kind of first part of this narrative arc that we read in First and Second Samuel, we see David really familiarize himself with suffering, don't we? And so my, my, my second point was that your calling doesn't preclude you from suffering. Just because you're called to do great things for the Lord, just because God has good things in store for you and he has purpose and intent for you, that doesn't exclude you from suffering. I know, yeah, I got an amen to that. Praise God. I typically don't think that that's something that you say, yay. Like, I, I think I preached a message a few years ago and I called it yay suffering. Does anybody remember that? I was like, I made everybody say yay suffering and nobody really got on board with that. Um, but your calling doesn't preclude or exclude you from suffering. It actually promises it. And we see that in the life of David. You see, when you read Psalm 23, right? We read Psalm 23 um, when we read about the Good Shepherd, like leading us by still waters, making us lie down in green pastures, we, we see this picture of David where his life is like, man, it's put together, right? He's got a solid relationship with God. Things are looking good for David. 
When we flip the page, or it's not even flipping the page in my Bible, you just look over previously one chapter, you, you read Psalm 22, and it's a psalm of suffering. <laughs> he begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the words that Jesus mutters on the cross, right? Psalm 22 is amazing. I'm, gonna, I'm preparing a whole sermon out of it because it's prophetic in nature, just to the craziest 10th degree. It's really cool, and it points back to Jesus. It's awesome. Not what I'm preaching about this morning. But it, it's pretty remarkable to see this kind of shift in David's life. He'll have this high moment with God and then this just broken moment before the Lord. And he'll have this really good moment with God and then it's just experiencely broken and, or it's just extremely broken. And one of the things that I think is uh, important for us to look at when we're studying the life of David is how he responded in times of trial and suffering. You see, David experienced pretty rapid success right after killing Goliath, right? He got promoted pretty quick. He got summoned into the king's house, right? He became the king's right-hand guy, and it seemed like everything David did, like, turned to gold, right? And it, it actually says that everything that the king asked him to do, he experienced great success in, to the place where the king was trying to send him on suicide missions, and David was just knocking him out of the park, right? It was like, this guy could do no wrong. And all of a sudden, David becomes like, if they had People magazine, he would have been the man of the year, right? Like, his face would have been everywhere. He was the guy. Like, the women are in the street singing songs, like Billboard Top 20, 40. I don't know what that is. Uh, but they're singing songs about, like, yeah, David, or Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands, I like, to, I like to put it this way. He, he was the kind of guy that was so popular. I mean, he was like front and center, like famous for good reason. And it, I, I like to think of him as the, as the guy that the women admired or the, the women adored and the man that, uh, that the men admired. Man, I butchered that the way I wrote it down. <laughs> but the women looked at David and was like... That's my husband right there, right? And guys were like, man, I want to be like David, right? Because <laughs> he's the guy. And surely, I'm thinking probably somewhere in the back of David's mind, he's like, he, he remembers the anointing that took place in 1 Samuel chapter 16, right? Knowing that he's called to be king, and he's thinking to himself, yeah, I'm on this right trajectory. You know, I'm second in command. The people love me man, I'm going to make a great king. God, how's this going to happen, right? And then all of a sudden, Saul starts throwing spears, right? Saul gets a little jealous, and he's like getting pinned to the wall. Like, what is going on? And David's world, David's world gets flipped upside down. And I don't know, I, I, I don't think that was the way David was expecting God to bring him in to being king, right? Everything just kind of gets put to a halt and everything gets flipped over right in David's life. And now he's on the run, uh, unjustly labeled a criminal, and he's, he's a fugitive running from his father-in-law. I mean, scared for his life, hiding in a cave. David knew suffering. He knew what it was like to face trouble and adversity. But he knew what it was like to trust the Lord through it all. You see, I wrote this, that David was no stranger to suffering. 
You see, he experienced undeserved suffering that chased him down, even while he was seeking to honor King Saul and his kind of position of authority. He still experienced suffering, even while he was living right before the Lord, right? I mean, we we have this example of David kind of still acting nobly and walking upright before the Lord, being a man after God's own heart, of committing no injustice here. And Saul is still trying to take his life, and he's experiencing suffering at the hands of somebody else because of somebody else's poor decision and somebody else's poor action. Later on in David's life, I'd like to say that it got really good and things kind of settled down and it was happily ever after. But after it was happily ever after, David made some bad decisions and he still reaped a life of suffering based upon his own poor decisions. And so what I'm here to say this morning is that suffering exists for all of us. Now, a lot of the times that suffering can be because we just made stupid decisions. (laughs) And stupid decisions bring about suffering. Nobody said amen to that, but I guarantee you every one of us in this room have suffered because we made poor decisions, right? How many of you guys have gotten a speeding ticket? How many of you guys were... Thank you, Tyler, for being honest. Nobody else raised their hand. (laughs) Aaron, you haven't got a speeding ticket, right? Good job. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> how many of you guys deserved that speeding ticket? Yeah, there you go. See, <laughs> you suffered for your stupidity. <laughs> anyway, not what I'm talking about. But then there's also the kind of suffering that exists even when you're doing something right. Right? We see that in scripture. We see that in life. There are good people that get cancer. Right? There, there are children that haven't done anything wrong that still die. There's famine. There's heartbreak. There's all kinds of evil that exists in the world that we don't have, I mean, we don't have like a pretty little answer that we can give. And it's important to know this. I need you guys to, I need you guys to understand this. And my first point is that God does not cause suffering. At the very basis of our theology, we have to understand this. God does not cause your suffering. And I, I hate it. I, I hear it all the time, especially when like a little baby dies. Or somebody, somebody dies. And, and, you know, I had a friend whose father died, passed away. He said, well, God just must have had good plans for them or better plans or a different plan. Can I tell you that death was never God's design? Death is never God's plan. Death is a result of sin and the fall. Suffering is a result of sin. How do I know this? Because there was no suffering in the Garden of Eden. There's going to be no suffering when we get to heaven is what scripture tells us. And so I know suffering isn't part of God's perfect plan for humanity. And so while he doesn't cause it, he can use it. And I need you to understand the difference there. You see, I wrote this, that there was no suffering in the Garden of Eden, and there won't be any in heaven. It is not his perfect will. It's a consequence of sin and living and living in a fallen world. We even have an example of Jesus who was sinless, right? Perfect. He still suffered. He suffered as a man, 
Then he even suffered on the cross for us. We're not exempt from it. In fact, we're promised it. That's why one of my go-to verses is 2 Timothy 3.12. It actually promises us suffering. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you want to live for the Lord, you're going to encounter suffering. Paul says there in uh, 2 Timothy that it's actually persecution as well, that you will suffer unjustly even. So God doesn't cause it. God doesn't cause suffering, but he can use it. So what do I mean by that? I believe that God uses suffering to test our faith. You might sound, that's kind of weird. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't get that. We're going we're to come to a healthy place here. But could I ask you a question? Like, how many of you would hire a lawyer that failed his bar exam? What if I gave you a really good price? Maybe. <laughs> Lisa, I hope you're making the, 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 the lawyer decisions. <laughs> or how many of you guys would trust a surgeon that didn't pass medical school? Well, given the price of, like, med- of medical care, some of us might look to Craigslist, but... <laughs> Generally, we'd say it's a pretty good idea, right, <laughs> to not to not to trust a surgeon or a physician that didn't that didn't pass the medical boards, right? <laughs> or or let our children drive, or, or or let our children ride with somebody that didn't have a driver's license, right? That failed their driver's test. We wouldn't do that, right? <laughs> it's this concept of there's tests that exist um, to prove something, and there's a there's a saying that I've heard. Um, that what hasn't been tested can't be trusted. I don't know if you've heard that. It reigns true for our faith as well. And I, I can back it up scripturally here, but there is a testing that occurs for our faith. There are trials that we go through that God doesn't cause, but he certainly use, uses because when we go through trials, it tests our faith, but it also strengthens our relationship and our trust upon Jesus. And I realize that sounds a little strange, but we're going to get somewhere with this. He says, this is what Peter says to, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, be truly glad, be joyful even. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. There is a joy that exists ahead for the people that endure and I love that fact that it talks about how the trials that we endure are only for a little while. They're temporary. They're coming to an end. But there are trials that exist to help test our faith. 
so that it can be trusted eventually. Third thing I want to mention when we're talking about suffering here is that suffering actually pleases God. You're, you're probably all kinds of confused right now. I don't want us to get some kind of picture of God as like some sadistic ruler sitting off far away, but there is a type of suffering that pleases the Lord. And now we have to differentiate here because um, we, we have a clear picture of his character in Scripture that God doesn't like hurting people. He doesn't take some kind of joy out of people's pain. And I need you to know, God doesn't delight in your pain. He doesn't look at your struggles. He doesn't look at what you're going through. He doesn't look at it and just get some kind of sick delight out of it. In fact, Lamentations 3.33, written from a person that really struggled with suffering, (laughs) mightn't you, writes this. He says, he does not enjoy in hurting people. He doesn't enjoy causing them sorrow. So you need to understand God doesn't find delight or joy in the suffering and the pain that his people go through. But sometimes he does permit it in order to bring about a closer relationship with himself. 1 Peter 4.19 tells us that there is a suffering that can please God. And so there is suffering that exists that God doesn't delight in whatsoever. Then there's a suffering that exists that brings you closer to him that he actually does delight in. He says this in 1 Peter 4.19. If you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. Turn with me to 1 Peter. And we're going to read, the, we're going to read a, a good portion of this chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. He says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. I don't know, maybe, maybe you guys didn't experience this, but when I became a Christian, I thought things were supposed to get easier. Did anybody sign up for this under that notion? Okay, thanks. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Maybe you guys all had excellent pastors and teachers that like prepared you for what you were signing up for. But I was under the impression that I was jumping on a ship where it was going to make life easier. It made life 100% better, but it didn't necessarily get easier. And this is what Peter's talking about here. You shouldn't be surprised that hard things are happening. <laughs> you shouldn't be taken, uh, taken off guard here that there are difficulties that you're facing. In fact, what was taking place uh, in the early church age at this time was that there were teachers that were going around saying that if you were poor, if you were suffering, if you were sick, that that was because of sin in your life. If there were things that were going wrong, if there were, if there were things that were bad that were happening to you, it was a mark of God's displeasure on your life. And there's this thing called the prosperity gospel that is kind of perpetuated, that God wants to give you a lot of money, and he wants to make you wealthy, and he wants to do all these things for you. And I believe in favor, I believe in blessing from God 100%. But <clears throat> friends, scripture is pretty, pretty black and white that there is suffering that comes with following and serving Jesus. Can I tell you something else? That there is suffering that comes when you don't follow and serve Jesus. 
Suffering exists whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. There is trial that is going to come for the believer and for the non-believer. Right? You can walk into the you can walk into the oncology ward of the hospital and you can see people with cancer that love Jesus and people with cancer that completely don't even believe he exists. Suffering exists because of sin. But the difference is that the believer has the beautiful promise of God being with us in the midst of suffering. Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes about suffering um, a lot. <laughs> and his, his encouragement is always, be joyful always. Rejoice always. He's writing words like this from prison in a place where things are hard and difficult. If there was somebody that knew a rough life, it was Paul. And he was experiencing those hardships. He was experiencing those shortcomings because he was a Christian, because he was preaching the gospel. Suffering exists for everyone. Coming back to here, though, Peter says, don't be surprised. It says, instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits for those who have never obeyed God's good news. And also if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the godly, godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. I kind of came to this message this morning out of a, a couple conversations I've had with people that have been Christians for a number of years. Um, Christians that have been in ministry for a number of years. And uh, unfortunately, some of them have kind of reflected back and felt like what they did wasn't worth their time. And they, 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 they were questioning and wondering why they gave it all and why they spent so many sleepless hours trying to, trying to win people to Jesus and, and be a, a faithful witness and met with extreme discouragement and met with suffering and hardship and trial. When they said, you know, I could have just not served God and it would have been easier. <laughs> Not in the long run. Friends, it's going to be worth it. Jesus is always worth it. Scripture continually tells us again and again and again and again to endure. 
that there is something that there's something worthwhile here. And that's why I look back to these words of First Peter. If you're walking through hardship right now, if you're walking through struggle, because you may be the only one in your family serving the Lord, and you feel like this would just be easier to throw in the towel. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Endure. I know it's not, that's not the funnest thing that I could tell you this morning, but it's worthwhile. Keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you because he will never fail you. He doesn't have any intention of letting you fall. He doesn't have any intention of letting you, you slip away or, or, or waste your life. It's never a waste serving Jesus. Paul goes on to say, so when I'm talking about there being a suffering that does please the Lord, he understands this, is that your suffering, your hardships, your trials, eventually bring you closer to him. And God will use that. So again, he doesn't cause your suffering. He doesn't cause this pain, but it exists as a result of sin. Jesus himself had to live through it. Jesus himself had to embrace it. And, and he made a way for us to not have to suffer anymore one day. And that's good news for us. But here in this life, there is suffering. Romans 5, 3 says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Thank God for our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I, I grew up with uh, less than ideal circumstances. <laughs> My family did not uh, serve the Lord. And, uh, and my parents were heroin addicts. And things were, were hard. And we always share these stories. And Kelly hates it when I share stories from my childhood. Because she's like, man, you don't have any happy stories. <laughs> I don't think of it that way. And people... I, I get people sometimes saying, man, I just wish I could have changed things for you. And uh, as much as there are things that I wish were different, I'm thankful for what God allowed me to go through because it's made me who I am today. I have an opportunity to minister to people. I have an opportunity to speak into situations that I wouldn't have had I not gone through the things that I'd gone through as a kid. And I, I realize that that seems like a weird way to look at things, but God can use even the darkest of circumstances, even the hardest of times, and still bring about good and glory from it. And so I don't know what situations you might find yourself in currently. I don't know what kind of circumstances might be circling around your kind of current life, but God can use it. God can use it, and he wants to redeem it. And good can come from it. But Christ, the, my, my third point here, so 
if you were taking notes, my first main thing was God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. The second truth that I really wanted to hit home on was that your, your calling doesn't preclude you from suffering. It actually promises it. And then uh, there were subpoints under that one about God uses suffering, but he doesn't cause it. Uh, what hasn't been tested can't be trusted, and suffering pleases God, which sounds weird, but hopefully you guys tracked with me there. But the last thing I really wanted to highlight through all of this, and it ties in with suffering once again, is we read through the Psalms of David. We see something, uh, we see a man that really experiences despair. We see hardship exist. We see this struggle of him like questioning God, are you here or are you not? Um, but there's something that I think David came to realize and that Christ doesn't just observe your suffering, but he walks with you through it. That's the beauty of the Lord that we serve is that, you know, I don't have answers for cancer. I don't have answers for hardship and heartbreak and just, just the mess of life, right? The suffering, the hardships that we have. But I do know that I, I, I have a Jesus that comes and bleeds with me. I have a God that's willing to step out of, out of heaven and live and embrace humanity in a real and, a real and tangible way. Jesus himself stepped out of perfection, stepped out of heaven, stepped out of everything that was glorious and good and lived as you and I. Walked through the same hardships and heartbreaks and experienced the same uh, deceit and deception from friends. I mean, he, he experienced what you and I experience. He walked through the loss of loved ones. He lost, he, he, he felt pain. So our pain and our hardship is not unknown to him. In fact, I love what David writes in Psalm 23, right? We read that, and probably the, one of the most iconic verses of scripture that exists is that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. There is weight in those words that you are with me. It doesn't say that he's going to keep him from the valley of the shadow of death, right? <laughs> he's going to walk through it, but he's with him. And I need you to understand this, that you will face trial you will face struggles. You are going to experience hardship, but you can take comfort in knowing that God has not abandoned you to face them alone. And that's good news. That's something that, that we should be excited and encouraged about because the truth of the matter is suffering exists and it stinks <laughs> on all sides of the spectrum. And I already mentioned it, I already talked about it, but regardless of if you love Jesus or if you don't, suffering is going to be there. But we get through suffering by leading, leaning into Jesus, by the God that has suffered and walks with us through it. I love what uh, Jesus says to his disciples, right? He says in John 16, that, I mean, he starts to tell them like, hey guys, I'm going to die. I'm going away. I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. And I'm telling you all this stuff because it's going to happen. I don't want you to be caught off guard. 
kind of has this dialogue back and forth throughout, I mean, really starting in John 14 through, I mean, basically the end of the Gospel of John, but um, some rich, rich teaching there. But 1633 says this. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. He says, I tell you all of this so that in you, that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There's great comfort that we can have in that. You see, the world is going to continue to spin in chaos. I wish I could tell you that it was going to settle down and that it was going to calm down, but from my few years of experience in life, I've come to notice that it just never settles down. It never calms down, and it never, it never just is, we, we don't arrive at this place where everything is peaches and cream 100% of the time. We live in a broken world. We live in a place where things go wrong. People get sick. People hurt us. Sin exists, and there's repercussions for that. And until we see Jesus face to face, and he brings us into his glorious kingdom, we are still going to experience trouble. We are still going to experience trial but he promises to be present with us in it. And I love this, that we have peace in him. Jesus, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm telling you all these things that are going to go wrong so that in you, or that in me, you may have peace. What the heck does that mean, Jesus? You ever, you ever like, feel like the disciples in those senses? Like, what does that even mean? Friends, when we walk through trial, when we walk through tribulation, when we walk through suffering, it tests us to the place of, are we going to trust in God? Are we going to get close to him? Are we going to talk to him? Are we going to listen to him? Are we going to find ourselves growing closer to the Lord? Because in him is the only place we're going to actually find peace from the chaos of life. And it's the secret that, that Paul finally kind of grabbed a hold of, of having contentment in every circumstance, right? It's only in that place when we find our peace rooted in Jesus. Not where we're looking to escape the hardship, but being connected with God in the midst of it, do we find true freedom. And I realize this isn't like the super happy message that everybody wants to hear and like pat themselves on the back. Yeah, woohoo, sign up for... And sign up for the gospel. <laughs> I'm kind of thankful for the smaller crowd this morning. And I, I know you guys. I know, I know that <laughs> I'm fairly confident all of you know Jesus. Because <laughs> this isn't like the one that you preach at like an evangelistic crusade, right? It was like, who wants to sign up for this? <laughs> but it's real, is it not? If we've walked through, if we walked with Jesus for any period of time, we know that it, the hardship and the trial just doesn't go away. But the way that we view it changes. And I want you to know, and my prayer is that God would make himself so real in the times of struggle, so real in the times of suffering and hardship, that we would see extraordinary change in the way that we view circumstances and situations. So rather than looking at something that would be rough and, you know, God, save me from this, we could look at it as an opportunity to grow closer to the Lord and see him receive glory through it. Turn with me to Psalm 57. Again, this was from a, 
this all, this all came from kind of studying the life of David. I realize it sounds a little weird, but when you read through the Psalms, you see David kind of doing this weird thing going back and forth. When we read Psalm 57, um, this is when David runs to the cave, <laughs> and he's fleeing from Saul, and he's hiding in the cave of De- Abdullam, and he's, he sings this to the Lord. He says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your, way, your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. This is written by a man that has experienced real suffering, that is experiencing real trial. I mean, it's not like us where we feel like because, you know, we had a car accident or we got a speeding ticket, you know, that we're suffering persecution, right? (laughs) Guys, sometimes we can be a little silly, right? We can look at all the things that are going wrong and things that are going bad and be like, oh, is this persecution, Lord? When, if we're honest, most of us have it pretty good. Compared to the rest of the world, we're, we're doing okay. But I understand that life is still hard. There's still real pain. There's still real suffering. But David here, was he, he was really suffering, right? Everything got stripped from him. He's hiding in a cave. Like, it's, it's rough deal here. And I love, I just love verse 8. And some of your translations might say, Wake up, O glory, or awake, O glory. Um, I, I really, studying this, uh, I think the better translation is where he says, wake up my heart. He says, wake up my spirit. It's reminiscent of when he, in Psalm 43, where David says, why, my soul, are you so downcast within me? <laughs> but let's worship the Lord. And I see this, I see this kind of uh, just mentality in David, even when he's like trying to talk himself into it, you know, saying, God, you're good. God, you're good. Wake up, my heart. You're good. You're going to worship the Lord. And if you ever find yourself in that place where you're struggling to say that God is good because you're looking at the circumstance around you, remember, David struggled with it too. (laughs) That's natural. I'm not saying it's okay to stay there or it's okay to camp in that place. But don't be caught off guard if there are mornings, if there are days when you struggle to get excited about the Lord. (laughs) And you struggle to really say that, God, you're good with everything inside of you. I I believe that's a human thing. I believe that that's something that exists, that it can be difficult some days to see how God is moving, to see how, see God's faithfulness. 
Friends, it becomes dangerous if we ever stay there. And I love the fact that David kind of gives this real picture of him kind of like talking himself up. (laughs) Come on, awake, O heart. He reminds himself of the goodness of God and goes on to say, I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. He begins to sing this begins to sing these praises to God while he's still in the cave. He doesn't, he doesn't wait until he's king over Israel and everything has been fixed and everything has kind of come to perfect fruition and the prophecy's fulfilled and, I mean, he's the man once again and Saul's dead and he's on the throne. He doesn't wait for that to begin to praise the Lord. He praises in the midst of that cave In the midst of that despair, in the midst of that loneliness, he chooses to worship. He chooses to praise. And the only only kind of, the only solution I can give you to suffering this morning is to choose to worship. Is to choose to give God glory, even in the midst of brokenness and heartache. Because he's still deserving, he's still good. And I believe as we do that, he shifts our outlook shifts our perspective. I know that's what Pastor Tyler spoke on last week, but um, God is good. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.